0: Friends, if we haven't met, my name is Adam And it's a great time of year to be a pastor And it's a great day to be in worship together in God's presence uh, Some of you may know why this happens But if you ever look at a two liter of Coke Or uh, on a can of Coke Have you seen that script on there that says original taste? Well, let's go back one, go back one On that two liter of Coke, it says original taste Well, why was that? In the mid-80s Coke was losing market share in, in America, and they, they decided to make a bold change. They, they, they surveyed over 200,000 consumers, and based on their feedback, for the first time in 99 years, they changed the formula of Coca-Cola, and they debuted new Coke. Here it is. <laughs> and everyone hated it. Some, some of us remember this. I see some emphatic nods from my Coke people out here. According to Coke's website, uh, starting in April of 1985, calls to their consumer hotline increased almost 400%. <laughs> Angry letters poured in. Actual protests were organized. By July of 1985, the change was reversed. So new Coke lasted 79 days. That's why, to this day, it still says original taste on the label. When Coke changed their formula, people were outraged. And I read this on Coke's website. Some people actually reported feelings of depression (laughs) after Coke changed. Why all this fury over soda? Is it that big a deal? Leadership guru Ronald Heifetz put it well. People don't resist loss, per se, Excuse me. People don't resist change per se. They resist loss. They don't resist change, they resist loss. All of those manifestations were signs of grief because grief is the response to loss. Grief is the human reaction to loss. We tend to think of grief in relation to death. And and that's definitely true, but grief is much broader than that. The Grief Recovery Handbook is by John James and Russell Friedman. And in it, they define grief as the conflicting feelings caused by the end of or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. When we experience something that's familiar to us changing or ending, our response is grief. We can grieve all types of loss. Uh, we might grieve losing a thing, like if you had something that meant a lot to you, like a, a class ring, or if you had restored some car and the car was stolen or it was, it was in a car accident. We may grieve losing a job, moving or changing schools. Our students might grieve when they move up to the next grade or even change buildings. I had folks talk to me in between services, and when we lose pets, we grieve because they're a part of the family as well. Maybe a team or a project at work or a sports team you were on comes to an end. Maybe you've had friends or family move away or vice versa. Maybe a company you work for has been acquired in a merger. Maybe you grieve the loss of the McRib sandwich when the limited availability (laughs) goes away. Grief and loss can come in small ways or big ways, little things or much larger things. The way we deal with grief, that also comes in all shapes and sizes. I remember vividly being at Walgreens uh, with my wife, Sarah, and I just burst into tears. And she was like, (laughs) what's wrong? I had seen a box of Rice Krispie Treat cereal in the aisle, and that's always what we ate at my grandma's house. That's what grandmas are for, right? Feeding you terrible cereal. But, hey, good, I love this. Good source of vitamin D, though, right? <laughs> That's awesome. You're going to want that vitamin D. Uh, it just it, to let you know how deep I went down the rabbit hole on this stuff, there's also an online petition to bring back Rice Krispie Treat cereal. Because it, too, has changed. There's over, like, 24,000 signatures. I told somebody, I didn't start it, but I support it. So, for me, it was seeing a box of cereal randomly at Walgreens, and I was a wreck. That's all it took. That was it. And so, grief can sneak up on us a lot of times. Grief can carry strong emotions that can sneak up on us. Other times, grief can play out in short-term energy-relieving behaviors, or the fun acronym STURB. Short-term energy-relieving behaviors. We have all this pent up kind of energy from our grief and it needs to be channeled somewhere. We might spend a lot of money shopping or gambling. We may work and we work in excess, become kind of workaholics to avoid our grief. Maybe we abuse alcohol or other substances or food. We may want to isolate and just be alone or the opposite where we fill our calendar with with social things, to to never have to be alone. We might binge watch, which is easy to do, no shortage of content, and it's just nice to check out, not worry about anything for a little while. There are as many ways to deal with grief as there are potential things to grieve over. And each of us will grieve uniquely because every situation is unique. Now what I do think is more universal is how we respond to those that are grieving. If grief is the human response to loss, then the human response to those that are grieving is avoidance. We don't always know how to interface with people who are experiencing intense emotions. And, and when we can't solve their problem, it, it can feel awkward. We avoid awkwardness, most of us. I have a buddy named John Wayne, he's a pastor in Texas, and the last thing he ever wants to do, the thing he dreads more than anything else, is karaoke. Because for him, it is just deathly uncomfortable to sit there while other people sing terribly. He just can't, he can't handle it. He wants to avoid karaoke at all costs, so when he came to visit Kansas City, guess where I took him? Had to go karaoke. He just, most of us, if it's awkward or uncomfortable, we want to avoid it. And that's a lot of times our response to those that are grieving. We like things to be resolved, and it's uncomfortable when there is no resolution. So part of what makes grief hard around Christmas time is this concept that it's the most wonderful time of the year. But there's an element of grief and a lack of resolution, even in the Christmas story. Jesus was born into a dark and brutal world. There was no lack of reasons for the people of Israel to grieve. They were under Roman occupation, and they were subject to the evil desires of a jealous ruler named Herod, not to be confused with his evil twin brother Harold. <laughs> Herod, was, that's, that's mean. Herod was the ruler of the Jewish kingdom at the time. This is more laughs than Herod's gotten ever, by the way this is going to take a quick turn here so herod was the king of the jewish people but they were still under roman occupation the romans kind of had this policy of these territories they would conquer where they wouldn't they'd still give them some autonomy and some some self direction as long as they paid their taxes and were loyal so even though they were under roman occupation they still had a jewish king and in order to rise to the throne herod did a long list of terrible things Uh, He banished his first child and his wife. Uh, He executed various other members of his family when he perceived that they were a threat to his power, that they were competition. Emperor Augustus said of Herod, it would be better to be Herod's pig than his son. And the Jewish historian Josephus reports that Herod ordered nobles executed at his death in order to ensure mourning when he died. Instead... They released the nobles upon Herod's death and people celebrated. And so you'll, you'll get a glimpse into why Herod has this reputation as we read Matthew 2, starting in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two, two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So the Magi were travelers from the east who had received a prophecy about the birth of Jesus? Earlier in chapter 2, they had asked Herod, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, how do you think it went when, when these magi approached Herod and, and said to the current, jealous, obsessed with power, King of the Jews, and said to him, Hey, we heard another king was born. Where's he at? Like, do you think that was going to go well? And we see just how uh, bloodthirsty Herod is. Because his response is he figures out about two years beforehand, a rival had been born, Uh, this man is scared of a baby, and he's so paranoid that he has every child killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas that's two years old and younger. Matthew tells us then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Jeremiah uh, is a prophet and that book is found in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And this prophecy that Jeremiah made was referring to the future suffering of the people in Israel as they would be carried off into exile. Rachel was the matriarch of one of the tri- 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. And she was buried near Jerusalem, where Herod ruled. The author, Matthew, is connecting Jeremiah's prophecy to their current situation and longing for a promised Savior. So Jesus was born into a time when the people of Israel experienced intense grief. This is one example of the horrors they experienced under Herod's regime and by extension, the Roman occupation. Many people had hoped for a savior who would lead a political and military revolution and restore the kingdom of Israel to its former greatness. But Jesus didn't resolve everything in the way people had hoped for. He said to the Romans that my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus didn't conquer the Romans, he was executed by them. And so as much as we might hope For Jesus to solve our grief, part of his mission, part of the reason he was born, was that he came to share in it. We want Jesus to solve our grief, but he came to share in it. We read this in the book of Hebrews. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus was subjected to and experienced The whole range of emotions that we experience. He was in circumstances where he encountered grief as well. In John 11, Jesus comes to visit his friend Lazarus, who he gets word has become sick and then has died. When Jesus saw her, that's Lazarus' sister, those are my parentheses, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven 35. Two words. Jesus wept. Jesus was born into a world full of grief, and he himself grieved. But he also gave us a proleptic promise of joy. In the episode with Lazarus and his sister, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. In John 16, he was speaking to his disciples. And these are the people that were assuming Jesus would kick out the Romans and kick out Herod and and take his place as king. He tells them, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus was referring to his death on the cross when the world would celebrate his death while the disciples mourned, and he was referring to his resurrection three days later. The resurrection is a proleptic promise. Now, that's not a word I... I, Used just just to be fancy, I think it's an important concept. Prolepsis is not a uh, overtly the, it's not a it's not a theological word. It's it's got broad application, and it means the representation of a thing as existing before it actually does or did so. So Jesus was a re, uh, was a proleptic event. His resurrection was a proleptic event because though all of us haven't been resurrected yet, though those who have gone before us haven't been resurrected yet, it's a preview of what's to come. It's the first thing that happens as a foretaste of what will follow. It's a thing that exists and yet does not for all of us. So Jesus' resurrection is a preview of what's to come and that promise makes joy possible. So because of Jesus' resurrection, Christians believe that our grief will turn to joy. In this Christmas series, Gift Exchange, we've been looking at the gifts that we can receive from God. We, we get to trade up as, as we make our way towards Christmas. Each week, we've been looking at something we can exchange. And this week, the concept is that we can give God our grief and receive God's joy. Well, I'd like to amend that a little bit this week. Because I'm not sure grief is something we're ever truly, fully rid of. And so maybe we can think of it as sharing our grief with God and receiving God's joy. The good news at Christmas is Jesus shares our grief and promises joy. And so I, I wanted to tell you this morning that two things can be true at the same time. We can go through grief and get a glimpse of God's joy. We want to recognize that this season can be an especially hard one, especially if you're grieving some type of loss. And that can look a lot of different ways, as we've discussed. It's not only death we grieve this time of year. And so we have an entire worship service dedicated to this reality. It's going to be on Wednesday, December 21st. That's the winter solstice. So we call it the blue Christmas service. And so if you are grieving for whatever reason, That's going to be from 6 to 7 p.m. on December 21st. If you're grieving for whatever reason, this is for you. We hope that it will be an experience of uh, acknowledging our grief, but also of comfort and of encouragement. Because we don't always know what to do with our grief, and we definitely don't know what to do with the grief of others. So we've already said that that we can grieve lots of different things. But from here on out, I'm mostly going to address grieving loss in the form of death. Now, you may not have experienced this acutely yet. And if so, I'm glad for you, but you will someday. And so this is for all of us. Uh, My good friend Robert is a part of our church, and he recommended a book to me called Don't Take My Grief Away From Me. And the thesis of this book is that sometimes our instincts or the instincts of others are to try and resolve grief. Even if if you think about things like bereavement leave, right? Typically that happens in the next few days after you've lost somebody. And there's lots to do with funerals or travel and all of that. But what about the weeks and months and later on in the year when you're still grieving? We don't always have mechanisms for that but it's no less true, it might even be worse as time goes on. Our instincts are to try and resolve grief. Oh, just get over it, take, take a couple days, then you'll be back. But that isn't helpful or even possible to fix grief. So in it, the author says that so often when we're grieving, we don't give ourselves the time or the space. And when we see others grieving, we become uncomfortable and try and offer some type of quick solution. So people offer explanations or they say things because they're trying to be helpful. They don't know what to say. They want the other person to feel better. He says what people need is not a solution, but a companion. He says you need someone to walk beside you and simply try to understand what you are feeling, even though it is impossible for others to actually comprehend the experience. It's a quote from Doug Manning, the author of Don't Take My Grief Away From Me. We want resolution to our grief, but on this side of eternity, it isn't possible. One of the things I loved about this book is that he was just speaking very plainly. And so he frankly and starkly says, The bottom line to grief is your loved one is not here, and you must learn to live without them being here. So what do we do with grief? Grief. We might find ourselves on either side of that equation. We might be the ones grieving a loss, or we might be witnessing others grieving. And so I want us all to have permission for two things permission to grieve and permission not to relieve. There's no getting over grief. I love that Willie Nelson song. It's called It's Not Something You Get Over, It's Something You Get Through. That's going to look different for each of us. But whenever grief creeps up, I'd encourage you to go through it. Have a cry in the Walgreens aisle. No matter how crazy it looks. Whenever grief creeps up, I'd encourage you to go through it. I have a dear, dear friend who tragically lost her brother. She's around my age, and so her brother was very young. And she got the call that her brother had died while her family was on vacation at Disney World. And years later, they returned to Disney and my friend's husband, who's like a brother to me, another dear, dear friend, he told his wife, listen, if you don't wanna go back to the spot where we got the call, that's okay, we don't have to go. Uh, But she decided to literally and figuratively walk through her grief. So we may not find a resolution, but we can find comfort that Jesus himself experienced grief and he walks with us. So give yourself permission to grieve. When grief starts creeping in, don't avoid it or try to bury it. Run run to it. Go through it. Author Jamie Anderson said this, and this is one of those where if I would have thought of this or if I would have put this in this way, I'd, I'd probably just hang it up. I think this is so good. They said, grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give but cannot. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in that hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. Now on the other side of grief we may try to have this or we may have this instinct to try and fix it but I want us all to have permission not to relieve it it's hard to know what to say and I can tell you from experience as someone well acquainted with death and dying it's part of our jobs as pastors to be with people in the ER when they've lost a loved one or to visit their home after they've lost a child. I've done it. And I've felt the urge to be like, I'm the pastor. With all, Here's a scripture that'll just make this all better. That's an instinct that comes from a good place. Because you want to help, but it's just not helpful. So let me tell you from experience, nothing anyone can say will solve people's grief. So just give yourself permission Not to relieve it. It's a beautifully freeing feeling. This is not your problem to solve. And you can't even if you tried. So here's what I'd recommend just keep showing up, preferably with food. It's not hard. Here's what I've learned if people want to talk to you, if people want to talk about it, they will. They will. Our job is to be present with people, simply to listen, not to provide a solution. And here's the other thing that I've learned, and it's good news. People might not even remember what you say to them, but they will remember that you showed up. They may not remember what you said, but they will never forget that you were there. So just relieve yourself from trying to fix it. Give yourself permission not to relieve grief. Christmas time for me is an odd mix of grief and joy. Uh, this will be my third Christmas without my dad. He passed away in February of 2020. And I wondered how much my own story to share. Right? Like, I don't want to be a cyborg and be emotionless, but I also don't want to be a blubbering, unintelligible communicator. So I'm trying to, I tried to figure out how can I, how can I work this here. Uh, But I wanted you all to know that this sermon is not theory for me. These are not theories. I'm a practitioner. In many ways, I inherited my love of Christmas from my dad. Uh, He was a great gift giver. And some of my favorite memories, like I'm sure many of yours, are at Christmas with my family. Uh, When our son Aaron was little... Uh, He got us this book, and it's The Night Before Christmas, uh, and it's narrated with his voice. This is one of my treasured possessions. My stepmom is here with us, and I preemptively got us a box of Kleenexes, so we're gonna do this together. So I have this book uh, with his voice recorded, reading The Night Before Christmas, and this year we brought it up with all our other Christmas decorations and I was faced with a choice because it finally ran out of batteries this year. Right, so I had a choice. Do I replace them and subject myself to hearing dad's voice again, which I love but also hate because it's hard, or do I just not replace them and act like my grief is not present? See, the annoying thing about preaching is you gotta practice what you preach. So I determined I would change the batteries. And uh, there's a little screw on this side, and then this little black switch switches from recording mode to saving mode. So my fear was that in somehow changing the batteries, I would erase the recording. So you should have seen me changing the batteries on this thing. It was like I was handling art from the Louvre or something. <laughs> right? Uh, and that was on last Wednesday. And so that'll give you an idea because I changed these batteries last Wednesday. We put up our Christmas decorations like, mid, like earlier than I'm comfortable telling you we put them up. <laughs> so you can tell I put it off for a couple weeks. And so the same day I changed the batteries, last Wednesday, uh, my kids were out of school early. And one of our Christmas traditions we've started the past few years is on that December early release day. Uh, the kids come home early. And my wife, who's also a teacher, she either has that half day also or she takes a personal day and we go uh, into the city and do all the Christmas things. And so my kids came home, and they wanted to hear Poppy read The Night Before Christmas. And so we did that before we headed to Crown Center. So we went to Union Station. uh, We did the Planetarium Holiday Magic Show. Highly recommend that, by the way. Uh, We went and saw Santa at Crown Center. We did all the Christmas stuff. And so Wednesday, I'm simultaneously... Grieving Christmas without my dad and experiencing joy as a dad with my own kids. That's a full range of emotions in the day. And so I wanted to tell you two things can be true. We can go through grief and get glimpses of God's joy. And it's because of Jesus' promise That I can have confidence and believe that this book is not the last time I will hear my father's voice. That's how I can get up here and try and talk about this stuff. That's why we're trying to raise our kids in the faith the best way we know how. Because of the promise that Jesus gives us. The promise he was born to deliver. And the promise we sell. That's why we take a month to celebrate Christmas. Christmas. Not because we're out of ideas, but because we need it. We need these glimpses of joy that God promises us. And so I pray that this season, you too can have confidence that our grief will turn to joy. And that you can feel Jesus sharing your burden of grief. And know the joy that he promised starting at his birth. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time and place where we can come and meet with you. God, I know a few stories around the room of grief, but I know that you know all of them. And so I ask that you would draw near to all of us, especially those that are grieving, that we would feel your presence and have confidence in the promise of the birth of in teachings, and death and resurrection of Jesus. God, we struggle to understand why you didn't stop Herod or why you didn't solve grief back when Jesus walked our planet. And we still struggle with those questions now. So God, in our wondering, in our waiting for our grief to turn to joy, would you help us share the burden of grief? God, we're grateful for the chance to read from your word and be reminded of the words that give life that Jesus promised. He was the resurrection and the life and in another place that he would come back and take us to be with him. So God, as we wait, help us cling to those glimpses of joy. Help us live in the unresolvable tension that two things can be true. God, help us to share our grief and live with open hands to receive your joy. It's in your son's name we pray. We love you and we trust you. Amen.